Welcome to MedTech Speed to Data, a KeyTech podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rogers, VP of Business Development at KeyTech. Each month, me and a KeyTecher are going to interview a MedTech leader and talk to them about the critical data-driven decisions they make in their programs. Hi, everybody. Andy Rogers here, host of MedTech Speed to Data. Uh, today is episode 28 with Allison London-Brown. Allison, welcome to the show. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Allison, uh, you're the CEO of Luminel. So very excited to have you on uh, Speed to Data and uh, prepping for this interview. I'm always on LinkedIn checking out. I have some some borderline creepy questions for I you after you're stalking stalker. your stalker. Yeah, you're a stalker. Yeah, <laughs> stalking your LinkedIn profile. But I, I will quote, leader of data-driven insights and decision-making was on your LinkedIn profile. You're actually a perfect guest for the podcast. So very excited to have you on. Uh, so let's get right into it, Dallison. So tell us a little bit about Luminell. Where did the product idea come from? And where are you now at Luminell? That's a long answer or a long story. Um, so I'll give you the, the short version. So Luminell used to be called UVision 360. We were formed in 2016. The goal at that time was to really go after a growing market, which was moving uh, procedures from the OR to the office you know, kind of the same story you hear in a lot of uh, different specialties. This was specifically in gynecology. I've spent the majority of my career in gynecology or in women's health, urology and, and gynecology. I was fortunate enough to be at J&J for a long time. So, you know, I had a lot of that background. I had worked with some of the best surgeons. This opportunity came and after uh, a few years, actually four years, we were given this just amazing insight. Um, and I've told people it's probably the most important thing I've ever done. And, you know, it's it's kind of a shame that it's taken me this long to find this, this insight. But it was really around how uh, endometrial or uterine cancer was being diagnosed. And unlike colonoscopies or, you know, other types of uh, tissue re retrieval or polyp removal, which all uses a scope. So there's a camera and the camera is helping to guide the physician to know where to look, what to, samples to take, you know, kind of early diagnosis that way. But in gynecology, they use this very simple but quite ineffective or inaccurate device that's like a straw with a suction bulb or a syringe, and that's how they're taking samples. So they're not looking at anything, and they're going into the uterus, and they think they may get tissue. And then when we dug even further, so this is like a rotten onion. I keep peeling this away. So first it was like, oh, well, why are we doing that? Like, we're selling a scope. Why are people not using the scope for that, right? And so there was a lot of understanding around that, and, and then three years to create the Luminel BX system, which is we're actually going to be launching that this year, this month. But the data was really hard to uncover because it was people would say, well, yeah, directed biopsy or using a scope is better, but this is easier. It's faster. It's easier. And if you talk to lab groups, they would tell us that between 50 to 70% of their lab samples were inadequate. So again, you start peeling away this onion and you're learning more about the data. 
And then recently, over the last few months, there have been all these new publications coming out about how African-American women have a faster growing type of cancer. And even after hysterectomies, they are 90% likely to die. There's double the incidence in Hispanic women. They're six times more likely to die. And then the latest from cancer.org, which is showing that while other cancers are all going down. So in terms of mortality rate, we're improving breast cancer, we're improving lung cancer, and even pancreatic cancer, right? But uterine cancer is growing. So the mortality rate is going up. And so, you know, again, just this kind of unfortunately at the right place at the right time um, and seeing how big this problem is. So I guess just break down the device for our audience here just a little bit more. So there's the imager side and then the the tool side. Just break that down for us. So we have what I would call a mini endoscopic system. So it's really, really small. I actually have it sitting here. So this is the the scope. It's really small. It's um, two millimeters in diameter, so it's really tiny. And then this is the processor. So that's it. it. That's all somebody needs to actually, from a capital perspective, to start it it up in their office. And then we have a range of um, attachments that are roto sheaths that uh, slide over the scope itself and allow people to do a variety of things. Um, And that controls the fluid. It allows you to do operative procedures. It allows you to deliver drugs. And then the Luminel BX takes that same kind of idea of a sampling tool and incorporates it into our sheath. So we're just kind of doing what they already know to do, but we're adding a camera versus the other way around, which I think, you know, in my past, we always tried to make things more complicated. Like, let's just make these things like this is how all the experts are doing it. So everybody should do it that way. Well, it's, you know, you're in the office. You don't want to use anesthesia. You want the patient to be comfortable. So we're trying to keep it very simple, cost-effective, so that people can get a better diagnosis. Yeah. Now, now, could you use another scope and this sort of straw to do the procedure, but that's a two-handed procedure, so your product yeah. be- becomes sort of a cheaper alternative to that, and it's one-handed? Well, you could use a scope, but when you're using a regular, you know, whether it's, you know, just a regular old scope that you see in the OR, you have to use an operative sheath. So even there, you're having to use an operative scope, which means the diameter is bigger, which means that the cervix is stretched more. But that's literally the pain point, is trying to navigate the cervix to get into the uterus. And you have to use an extra instruments. So it's not that little straw-like thing. It is like graspers and scissors and that kind of thing, which is, you know, again, you're using anesthesia. It's more complicated. It's, it's kind of overkill for what should be a five to 10 minute procedure. And you can go in and look with the scope and take the scope out and then use the straw. But again, you're still doing it blind. And you have no idea that the straw is going where you think it's going. Got it. All right. So so being a leader of data-driven insights, (laughs) uh, you you alluded to... I erased that from my my LinkedIn. (laughs) That's gone. Gone. (laughs) So so what was it that, uh, you know, what did... We'll get into the data section here. What was it? You know, after being a professional in this market for, you know, it seems like a decade or two, like what data was like clear to you that this needs to be a product? Like how did the company get founded? Well, the company was founded really looking at the fact that we had 
eight to 10 million procedures going on every year at, you know, kind of 11 to $14,000 a pop in the OR and just kind of that excess, you know, it was like, you know, you're, when you have a colonoscopy, yeah, you want to be knocked out for that, right? You're not, you're not going to do that awake, but we're talking about a relatively simple, for most of the time, these are relatively simple procedures. So why can't we do those in the office? And in order to do that, you have to have something that's really small and, and cost-effective. So that was the original kind of thesis was the market's moving this way. They don't have a real solution. How do we make something that's, you know, small, easy, doesn't require a lot of staff, all those things. So I, I would I'm say that that insight's it. been there for a long time. We've been trying to move the market for a while. Uh, and COVID, unfortunately, unfortunately, really helped kind of push people in this direction. Got it. So I've been reviewing a lot of patents and, and whatnot this week for another application. And uh, I'm curious about your patent portfolio and, you know, what gave you the confidence there that, you know, this product was protectable and, you know, you could build a business around it. Yeah, that's um, a really interesting question because, I mean, let's just be honest. Our scope is a CMOS sensor on a stick, so chip on a stick. This is not necessarily a novel design. I think what made us novel was how small it was, the processing unit, and then the um, the roto sheets, so the, the system itself, how everything kind of fits together. But we were very fortunate to work with a great um, IP firm. We were working with Mints in Boston. And um, despite the fact that there is a crowded field, they were able to get some really, really good claims for us. So we have three patents on the actual system itself. And then we have now two patents on the biopsy. We actually were just issued um, a Chinese patent and we're looking for the other PCT patents to be coming out on the biopsy. And that's our strongest um, piece of IP. It really, really is both a, an offensive and a defensive piece of IP, I think. But it took a lot to get there. Again, you know, patents are so hard these days. <laughs> yeah. No. Yep. Everything seems to be crowded, but that's, that's fantastic. You were granted patents and, and now you're, you're a commercial company. So my, my next question for you is, you know, now that you're generating revenue, presumably, uh, you know, what, what are you, what data are you looking at <laughs> a little bit? What data are you looking at, you know, these days to help inform, to, to make, as you say, data-driven uh, decisions, strategic uh, data-driven uh, decisions? So there's quite a, a lot of information that goes into the design itself of any product, right? So we, there's both qualitative and quantitative. So we've done everything from pricing, elasticity studies, to understanding what purchase intent and how someone would, um, what the beliefs and behaviors of physicians are, so that you know what the objections are, what you're trying to overcome. And again, that's both on the, the design side as well as the sales side. And then on the commercial side, you know, I really believe in a demand generation funnel. So leveraging claims, leveraging um, understanding about where procedures are moving, what physicians are doing the most procedures, what physicians may be actually having the worst trouble with some of their procedures, so that we know who is interested in our in our product. 
And the goal there is unlike in, you know, kind of standard capital equipment sales, it's usually like a three to six month cycle, maybe even longer. Our goal is to really get that down. And so that a rep never goes into an office until the physician is ready for a demo. So all that upfront work that used to be done to try to get into the office and build, you know, all of that rapport, we're able to do kind of by, you know, targeting better and understanding the psychographics of that practice before we even go in. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. So demand gen funnel, like, are you using uh, certain tools to uh, generate this data? We are. Um, Right now we're having to do it very manually. And we're also doing it through, again, through market research. Um, We also have a contract with a very, very large association of uh, women's health, independent women's health clinics. And so we're able to, you know, get leads coming in from that uh, group as well, that partnership. Uh, But we're kind of using disparate data sources right now. Um, Our goal is once we uh, finalize our Series A is to use a more automated process to um, pull all those things together. It also gives us a lot of intel in terms of knowing where to go for our next territory. So I don't really think you should open up a territory until you understand it. It may take you a little bit longer because you're waiting for the leads to come in, but, um, and you may lose some leads because you're, you're waiting until you place somebody. But I think it's, it's a smarter and more cost-effective play, especially for a startup. So effectively, you're looking for various uh, overlap of demographics, geographic areas, and you know, likelihood usage of, patterns. of being a buyer. Usage patterns. Usage patterns, yeah. Um, and if there's any way to get you know, any of the psychographics on, not just demographics, but actual psychographics. So you know the beliefs and behaviors. What are they doing and why are they doing it? You know, it all goes into that kind of understanding. Very, very interesting. And, and, you know, it seems like you, you've developed a very powerful tool here, very accurate, more, more precise than flying blind as, as you've described it. I'm just surprised that it's, it's that challenging to kind of find these placements. If there's a clear value proposition, is it, is it more of just getting, making sure that someone can afford this expensive equipment for their volume uh, of patients? Yeah. So our equipment is not expensive at all. We, um, our system, what I just showed you, the scope and the box, you know, that hub processing unit cost, um, if you were to buy it outright, the list price is $59.95. So only, you know, $6,000. That is half the price of an ultrasound. So, I mean, relatively, but we place the capital for free with a subscription to the, um, the sheaths. The limiting factor for us right now is not about customers or contracts. Um, you know, I always say we've we've tackled a lot of the risks that investors look for, whether it's reimbursement, we've got, uh, you know, regulatory, we've got, we've got contracts so I can get revenue. Right now we have one business manage, uh, development manager in the Northeast. So I've only got one rep today. So that's really our limiting factor is, you know, getting this uh, engine, you know, turned on is really the cash to, to make that happen. As always, you know, that's what startups do. (laughs) 99% of my job is raising money all day long, (laughs) every day. (laughs) Allison, what, you know, for our audience, I guess, what have you raised so far? um, If you're willing to share and uh, generally, what are you looking for? Yeah. So we have raised um, only 6.3 million um, in this time and that's equity raise. We've had a convertible note open 
that we're trying to close up, and then we're starting a Series A. Um, and that Series A is really, again, it's that big catalyst uh, to move us forward. Build your sales team and um... sales team operations. It's mostly the product portfolio and and uh, commercial. Awesome. Well, Allison, let's move to the, the lightning round here in uh -oh. our in our podcast. So. At the top, you mentioned that you had worked at global companies uh, throughout your career and learned a lot at them. So I have to ask, what what did you learn uh, about innovation and launching products that you're at global companies that you're applying here at uh, uh, Lumino? Oh, um, well, you know, I think some of the best lessons you learn are the ones where you say, I'm never going to do that. This is my eighth startup to be involved in. And you kind of get that bug, right, where you get excited and you can make decisions quickly. I do think that I learned a lot about consistency building and uh, working with different kinds of cultures and different kinds of people. So all of that was tremendous. Um, and I certainly have a strong network. Um, you know, some of the people I'm working with, I've known for almost 20 years. So it's great. Um, I met them in 2004. But I think, you know... The slowness of big companies is what hurts innovation. The inability to, you know, make good decisions or trust your people to make good decisions, I think is probably an innovation killer because people get frustrated. You know, you have to vet your ideas. Certainly you have to have a good, you know, do quote unquote due diligence process of the ideas. But, um, you know, I think we, we tend to get very myopic in big companies and we don't, we don't let an innovation flourish as much, which is why there's so many startups. Yeah, de definitely a lot of, uh, you know, M&A happening. In, and, and in Women's Health specifically, we went to the Women's Health Innovation Summit uh, last year. We didn't make it this year, but it seems like there's definitely a lot of activity and entrepreneurial activity in this market, investing attention. And, that, and that's a great thing to see with, with the market need being so clear um, with those patient populations you described. Yeah, I see a lot more in menopause, I've, you know, more than I've ever seen before. Some in cancer, you know, breast cancer still gets a lot of attention and it should. I mean, it affects hundreds of thousands of people. I, I think the struggle is that there's a lot of attention and a lot of discussion about it. And then when it comes to really committing to doing something about it, you know, I don't understand why the there is such a reticence in some investor communities to to support these things. You know, I guess fintech and software are a lot, a lot faster and a lot easier, maybe less risky. Got it. All right. Back to LinkedIn stalking. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> there's another uh, comment you had, and, and I'm going through this. Uh, me and my team are going through this right now. Uh, predicting market changes and uh, aligning organizations and, and actually executing. So I wanted to ask you, what's an example of your your experience predicting a market change seeing that and taking action uh, to your advantage. That's what we did in Luminell. You know, we started kind of going down one road, uh, run path. We were really executing. Um, you know, if you talk to my team or our investors, they'll tell you, you know, when we say we're going to do something, we do it. Um, that's, you know, one of our, you know, key values is that is really, you know, doing what you've committed to. But we, we saw this insight. We saw kind of the opportunity and where the market could go and that nobody was playing in that space. So I hope people are going to listen to this and then start playing in my space. But, um, you know, we uh, we just saw this this insight and just pivoted. I mean, we changed the name of the company. 
you know, we really just kind of said, you know, slow the ship down and, and turn it 180 or maybe 90, not not 180. <laughs> um, but I think in other organizations, you know, if you keep track of disease states, if you keep track of where you see trends going, like you have to be on top of that stuff. You've got to know, you've got to read clinical papers. You've got to look at epidemiology. You have to understand kind of where the pain points are coming. We have identified as well a couple of additional pain points in the healthcare system that we think the need for visualization is there. So we're we're starting to think about how we research those areas as a value creation for Luminel. But I, I do think it's it's the tried and true methodology. You're like a detective. You're looking at IP. You're looking at clinical papers. You're looking at the latest data on claims. You're looking at maybe death rate. You're and you're looking at that globally. It's not just a U.S. phenomenon. And so once you've identified things, you know I've I've had the fortune in my past to be able to either consolidate or shift resources to create either a new BU or a Tiger team to go after that and really dig deep um, to understand, you know, not having a, a product mean it, uh, a market, but a market develop a product. No, that's great. I mean, at a startup, you know, CEO and uh, maybe, and uh, I don't know who else. But yeah, I've got a co-founder. Yeah, and your co-founder are, are doing that sort of market combing and, and maybe at a, at a 50 to 150 person company, Sounds like it's it's developing a, a, a fo- focused or formal sort of market research process. Is that yeah. how you would? Yeah, go I, it's that? it's less about just market research. I think you know there's there's kind of the high level market research, and then it's R and D and regulatory, and you know it's a true cross functional team to really go after. If we see this trend that's going to happen in five years or ten years, what's needed? You know. What does the market really need as a solution? Not what we can provide as a solution, but what does the market want? And so work backwards from that. Work backwards, yeah. And that that's not the easiest thing, I think, in a in a big organization where you have a lot of resources tied up in, you know, a certain kind of technology. I think that's why you've seen in the past, you've seen like medical device companies that try to do pharma or pharma companies that tried to bolt on a medical device doesn't always work out well. Sometimes it works out really, really well, but I think, you know, maybe 10% of the time it works. I'm not sure, but. Yeah. I think the biggest question a lot of these uh, globals and startups are, are facing is how far to wade into digital and, uh, you know, yeah. AI ML and how, how much should they just sort of rely on, you know, big tech to provide that uh, processing power. Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I will tell you, I think I get asked about AI Every single time I meet with somebody, well, what are you doing about AI? Well, I'm like, well, nothing. I mean, we are a camera. We are enabling someone to see inside an organ. Um, Now, do I see a need for helping a physician to better identify disease tissue? Or is there a way that you can use, you know, photo libraries? I have a friend that that's what they do. They take imaging and they they scrub it and then develop a database system for um, other people to use. And I think that's very helpful because sometimes you don't know what you're looking at. But I haven't figured out yet how, I mean, there's so many nuances of the human body. 
especially the uterus. I mean, I know that sounds strange, but there's just no uterus is the same. And so I don't know how that would be applicable today. I'm not saying it wouldn't be, but um, I would love to you know, understand that more. Um, that said, I don't think that you can, I don't see a way for us to ever get away from a physician, you know, either looking at an ultrasound and understanding what's going on with the ultrasound and then moving into the uterus and really looking at it. I don't, I don't know that you can just, again, magically know what's going on in there without actually yeah. looking, which is right. why we're having some of the issues we're having now because we're not doing that. Okay. Next, next question. So our audience is predominantly startup companies okay. uh, and again, some globals and uh, most of our, our audience are building teams and also on your LinkedIn profile says you're very good at uh, adept at recruiting and retaining highly effective teams. And so let's put the recruiting uh, label aside and just focus on uh, retaining and building highly effective teams. Uh, what's your secret, Allison? Oh my gosh, you're like putting me on the spot. I'm, now I seriously have to scrub my LinkedIn. Um, well, startup world um, aside, I, I think being able to recruit and have people come to a startup is hard because you're not going to get paid what you're worth. You are literally investing in yourself because A, the salary is not there and B, at least at first, and B, you're 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 betting on the long term, right? You're betting on myself, you're betting on yourself to execute and be able to have a win that results in some type of, you know, change of control or waterfall moment. I think in larger organizations, I will tell you when I first started being a leader, I was horrible. Uh, <laughs> I um, kind of had that, well, if you don't do it the way I do it, then you're not doing it right. Um, not micromanaging, but just this lack of understanding of how to really leverage people's strengths and weaknesses. I hope that I've gotten better. I feel like I've gotten better at that in terms of understanding what people, what makes them tick and how do you like really enjoy watching someone grow in the strength that they have. And so I think the easiest thing to do in terms of um, retaining talent is help them grow. And sometimes that means they leave you and then you're, you're rejoicing with them because, you know, they've, they've had the great fortune of being promoted or to going and do something else. You know, I've got people that worked for me a long time ago that are now managing partners in law firms. Um, they left science and went to be a lawyer. I've got other people that worked for me that are now CEOs of big companies. And I, I would hope that I had a little part to play in their growth to get there. So um, I think it's just uh, love on people, you know, hold them accountable, push them when they need it, hug them when they need it, but just help them grow. Yeah. No, following up on that. Yeah. You had a, another LinkedIn description about mentoring and growing leaders and, and you answered most of that. But I think that's something as, as a leader at KeyTech and I'm sure some of the other founders of these startup companies uh, that, that have come on the podcast and, uh, and, and at Globals are, are struggling with is you know, you, you want to mentor and just take care of your people, uh, but you also want to enable their development, which requires putting them in positions that are uncomfortable. And that's the only way you really grow yeah. is, you know, riding along that bumpy, bumpy ride and kind of going through it. So I guess just how have you been able to balance sort of being that sort of loving sort of presence, but also that you, you got to perform here 
and I, I believe in you. Um, go do it now. Yeah. Putting them in a difficult situation. I think setting realistic expectations, but then and then showing where the stretch is so that you're aligned. And I, I will say, again, learn from what I'm saying, not what I do, because in startup land, it feels like, you know, what you're working on changes maybe from moment to moment. Um, I talk to my business development manager all the time. Her name is Jamie Harding. She's amazing. She is a rock star. And she is so patient because things do change. Things change quickly. And for salespeople, that's hard because, you know, they're very much focused in a direction. And so we're like, okay, Jamie, focus here. But then you're going to dabble over here a little bit. You're going to dabble over here a little bit. So I think, you know, you got to set expectations of this is where my bar is. I think you can get there maybe even higher. What does that look like to you? And kind of aligning on on what does that, you know, what does that look like? That said, you know, Andy, I I'm also somewhat impatient. <laughs> and I I want people who are winners and people who want to win. So, if you're not willing to, you know, kind of put all, you know, like all chips in, then, you know, this, this is probably not the job for you. Working with myself and my co-founder, Eric, is probably not a great team for you because we're all in. Um, and that's, you know, again, it's a different mentality than a little bit than when you're even at a, at a big company. No, I, li- I liked how you described just, you know, set the bar and, and the one nuance there of, you know, let them know when, when one or two of the areas might be a little bit of a stretch, but you know, that here's how we're going to try and get there. I really like that. that yeah. I mean, idea. again, in sales, it's easy, right? Here's your target. Here's your quota. Um, you reach above that, you get a kicker. You reach above that, you get a kicker. And so the majority of salespeople I know are going for whatever kicker they can get. Right. And it's not just about money. It is about a fulfillment in reaching a higher goal for yourself every single time. It's harder when you're talking about I don't know, like R&D, you know, you can't say to somebody, oh, well, if you get this done in three months instead of six, well, you know, the FDA doesn't move that fast or manufacturing doesn't move that fast. So time bound metrics or these kinds of milestones, I think, are harder. So you got to be creative in how you set milestones and, um, you know, those those bars for people. Great advice, Allison. (laughs) Thank you so much for for coming on the show. That that's uh, all I have on on my side, and it sounds like you're primed for for commercial success, additional commercial success as you raise your funding and you know address a clear clinical need. Um, so yeah. I hope you get uh, the funding you need and can build and retain that uh, that team you're here looking for. Yeah, and we um, are, you know, again, we are going to be looking for a lot of key talent um, uh, soon. So as that. As series Series A closes, will you know be on the hunt for great talent. So you know, if you do know people who are interested in um, helping out a women's health company, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Sure. What what positions are you hiring? Yeah, what, we're going to be what are you planning to hire for um, everything from you know R and D kind of project manager, design engineering, operations, um, logistics to. Uh, I'm looking for a CFO. I'm looking for a chief commercial officer. 
Um, we'll be hiring marketing and 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 internal demand gen, lead gen kind of people. So kind of the everything you could kind of think of in a normal company, but on a small scale. Well, best of luck, Allison, on that. Thanks. And thanks again for coming on, everybody. Andy Rogers, uh, MedTech Speed to Data, episode 28. Allison, thank you so much for coming. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to MedTech Speed to Data, a key tech podcast. Join us each month for more ways to get the right data faster to inform critical decisions. Find additional resources on our website, keytechinc.com. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review on iTunes whenever you listen. Thanks.